Well, hey, welcome into Down the Hall Podcast. Subdued of course, I beginning. am subdued because I my voice feels a little coarse. I think I was uh, I was laughing so hard just now as we were interviewing Paul. Uh, so, if you're joining us for the first time, typically what we do is uh, is give you a movie night pick to help you take back movie night. But something that has been true about the show now for really since we started is that we get these guests that frankly we we just don't deserve so mm. here we are again with one and that's paul walter hauser from the movie i tanya and if you haven't seen it he plays well a it's the the story about tanya harding which may not seem interesting to you uh oh, it, it didn't seem interesting to me but oh my gosh was it such a good movie it's that and the big sick are my two favorite of the year mm-hmm. uh and so what it is it's a it's a biopic but it's done in a like action comedy drama type of way and it's it's hysterical where they like break the fourth wall to like the talk yeah. to the camera it's just done so so well narrated over by the characters themselves and anyway paul plays uh he plays sean eckhart who is the um sorry tanya harding's bodyguard who is you know as the film depicts the culprit behind the attack on on nancy kerrigan mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting having been able to talk with him. He's obviously one of the main characters of this movie. Many people have said that he should have been nominated for uh, best supporting actor. Oh God, uh, was he so good? At he, this. he wasn't uh, nominated, but Margot Robbie was nominated for best uh, lead actress, and Allison Jamie was uh, nominated for best supporting actress. Mm-hmm. There was one other category that I Tanya was nominated in as well. Um, but it is a shame that it as a film wasn't. Uh, considered for best picture i think i read today it was probably the biggest snub they're saying that he wasn't no that the movie oh, itself the movie. yeah 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 no i agree I, I think it was so well done um and i think this interview was uh i don't know maybe maybe one of the the favorite ones that we've we've ever done he's he's hysterical and what we re- what we come to learn is in a crazy story that he actually is margot roby's bodyguard for a moment for a, for night, a moment which listen i that's, mean that's a very noble night. I would put that on my resume. Oh, for sure. You don't even need a resume. <laughs> just walk in and say, I once was Margot Robbie's real bodyguard. Where do Hired. I, where, where do <laughs> where I do sign I, up? Where, where do I sign When do I receive my bags of gold? Sir, this is a Wendy's. I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> I'll just take a chili. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so we hope you enjoy this episode. It was a fun interview. And uh, tune in next week for our typical episodes where we'll give you a movie night pick of the week. Hey there, listeners. My name is Paul Walter Hauser. I'm from the Oscar-nominated film I, Tanya, and you're listening to Down the Hall Podcast. This is Down the Hall Podcast with your hosts, Chet Jobert. It's Black Hawk Down with aliens. What's the problem? Rodney Hart. Oh, definitely would have been Team Jake. Not the vampire. You don't root for a vampire. And if you're lucky, Lyndon Wells. I thought Chet was going to launch into his terrible British accent again. Beer Garden. Beer Garden was pretty spot on. That was pretty good. No, he definitely got that. Well, hey again, this is Chet here with Rodney, not with Lyndon. Uh, Lyndon is asleep somewhere right now, I think, in London. I thought we had him on a flight coming over from London. I I stay out of any money management when it comes to the show, so I don't want to know where our money goes. If it's Lyndon's flights, that's fine. Uh, but we're joined by someone who uh, is far more famous than any of us, and that would be Paul Walter Hauser from uh, from I, Tanya, the Oscar-nominated What Itania. a great movie. So we want to welcome in Paul. How are you doing, man? Hey, guys. I only got about two minutes. I just got to gotta go back to being really famous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that's what I would do. I don't know why you're wasting your time right now, so uh, however many two is, is enough. <laughs> I set a lawn chair out in front of a shopping mall, 
And I just sit there and read a book um, with a pair of sunglasses on, and I just wait for people to come by, and they'll go, "Who, who is that guy? Do I know him from something?" And I'll, and and I usually go, "Maybe you've seen me." And then they cut me off, and they go, "Weight Watchers. That's right. We're in the same class for Weight Watchers." And uh, very upsetting. Mm. You uh, do you keep the sharpie in, in the sock too? Just waiting, just waiting for an opportunity. Sharpie in the sock. I got. Uh, uh, little mini versions of headshots like flyer ones that I put on everyone's vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> That'll get you famous for all the wrong reasons, I think. Famous. Uh, yeah. Guys, uh, how's the podcast going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's great, man. We uh, Typically what, what we do is we uh, we aim to help people take movie night back, you know, because people waste so much time looking for a movie to watch. Uh, in fact, we read a stat that, that drives the show, which is that People waste an average of 115 hours looking for a movie to watch every year. So every week we, we hit them with a, with a movie rec. And so we usually ask our guests, hey, do you have a, a movie night recommendation for the listeners? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I thought the stat was going to end up being 127 hours. And that was actually <laughs> going to be the recommendation for the show. Um, no, my, um, my movie recommendation, I'll go with this one. I'll go with... A film called In America. It's a, it's a Jim Sheridan directed film starring Samantha Morton, Diamond Hunsu, and uh, Patty Constantine. It's a beautiful film that uh, is both you know edgy and gritty and heartfelt, and it's seen through the eyes of Irish immigrants coming to America and settling in New York City. All right, very cool. What's it awesome. called? In America. In America, Jim Sheridan film, one of my favorites. Awesome. Just added cool. it to the list. So, uh, so Paul, so um, as you know, I'm sure, you play Sean Eckhart in, in the movie I, Tanya, which is, and I'm not just saying this, my one of my top two favorite movies from this past year. And the fact that it was not nominated for Best Picture is nothing short of criminal. It's, it's to me, I was so surprised that it wasn't, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, we have a few questions for you, Paul. We also have questions from the listeners. Um, but, uh, for those who haven't seen the film, it's obviously the story of Tanya Harding, but from a perspective of like an action comedy biopic told, uh, narrated by the actors playing the older versions of, mm-hmm. of the actual people and, uh, also playing the younger versions of them. And it's just so creatively done. So well done. Um, who would have thought that the Tanya Harding story could be told in such a creative way? And, uh, and, and Paul, you play, uh, the villain who also is the comedic relief in times, and man, yeah, I did not realize how much you nailed it until after when in the credits you see Sean Eckhart talking. You're like, oh my gosh, yeah, ge- 100%. Genuinely, uh, it was like one of the funniest movie performances I've seen in a really long time. And I'm not kidding, I'm not saying that just because you're we're talking to you. And, um, yeah, I, I just assumed that it was a made up character in the whole story, like, until it I can't saw, be like, real, yeah. But, and then you see him at the end, you're like, oh my god, unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, listen, this, the types of people I've played in the past, I played a juggalo on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for one episode. I played, uh, oh my goodness, I played this like nerdy, um, obnoxious roommate on an Amazon series called Betas. I always kind of tend to play these nefarious, oddball types of people that are also the comedic relief. And, uh, you know, when I read the script for Itania, obviously I saw it and I went, God, this is 
a dream role. You know, I'd get to work with Margot Robbie and Alice Janney and the director of Lars of the Real Girl, and the script was brilliant, and it was on the blacklist. So it seemed a little too good to be true, but apparently it wasn't, and uh, and now here we are. Mm. The, the film is is in theaters. It's got three Oscar nominations for uh, two of the performances and our film editing. And I couldn't be prouder of how it turned out, guys. I, I really love the film. Yeah, absolutely. And if I don't know if you're going to say it. We'll say it for you. I think the uh, the Twitterverse was uh, was sure that you should you would have been or at least should have been nominated for best supporting role. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I I completely agree. You stole scenes, and yeah. someone even said, "Does Margot Robbie know that uh, that Paul stole the movie?" And I I tend to agree with that. And you know, it's it wasn't I, not that I didn't think the character was amazing, but it wasn't till the very very end when you see the real Sean Eckhart that that all came to you know it became extremely clear. Well, you know what I I think the compliments by the way you guys are incredibly uh, nice and gracious. I would say I don't believe that I stole the film. I don't really believe that, but I will say this: I think, and I've heard this from many actors in the past, some of the greats like Jimmy Stewart and Robert Duvall. They've said that acting is really about moments. It's about finding moments, making sure that you breathe truth and specificity and, and, and honor these moments. And then those are part of cinema history. You know, people don't always remember an entirety of a film they see once, but they do remember moments. So mm-hmm. I, I'll say I believe that there are two or three great moments in that movie. Uh, no, not just two or three great moments in the movie. I mean, for my character, Sean. Uh, there were two or three moments that I really love, and I, I think I, uh, I think I delivered the goods, and I think I was surrounded by a lot of talent. That's the other thing is I've done things where I've tried, I've done certain projects, and I won't say what they are, but I've done certain projects where you're not surrounded by the most talented people in the world, mm. or you don't have the greatest screenplay in the world, and it makes it harder to try to you know salvage it and make it really great. Right. This was quite the opposite, where I was really set up for success because it was so wonderfully drawn and I was surrounded by all these crazy talented people. I mean, Jennifer Johnson, who did our wardrobe uh, and costume department, she, she worked so tirelessly on all these outfits and you watch the film and you see them. Yeah. I mean, you see yep. the fur coat and you see the skating outfits and you see the old jackets, the vintage eighties and nineties stuff. And it's like, you know, what a headache of a job, but also a joy to get to bring that to life. And that was that was sort of par for the course of everybody who worked on the film. They uh, they were so giddy, feeling like we were making this Frankenstein monster of a movie. But um, but there were some sixteen to you know eighteen hour days, nineteen hour days that were pretty regular as well, which is wild. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so tell us what did you what did you do to to prepare for this role? I mean, we saw the footage at the end. I mean, did you just watch that Diane Sawyer interview over and over again, or what what was that like? Yeah, I mean, the guy, Sean Eckhart, who changed his name to Brian Griffin, apparently, uh, not wanting, <laughs> not wanting his, um, his past to kind of haunt him uh, too late. Um, did he really change his name to Brian Griffin? He did. And then he Family really Guy did. came out, and he's like, oh, my God, I got to change it I'm, again. There literally could be some correlation between him choosing that because the timing is oddly similar to, I think, when Family Guy came out. But right. the point being... Uh, you know, he he wasn't around for me to interview. So I, well, for the audition, I just watched that YouTube clip of the Diane Sawyer interview ad nauseum. I might have watched it 10 to 20 times and just tried to get 
the body language, the breathing, the eyes, the mouth, some of the mimicry of his literal movements. Um, but while inhabiting that, you start finding out all the internal stuff. So even though I'm doing it from an external standpoint of, you know, almost like an SNL impression, Bill Hader trying to do, you know, Vincent Price, it starts off cartoonish and mimicry, but then it settles into the reality and the grounded nature that this is a person with unique desires and goals and clearly uh, went about them all in the wrong ways and, and, and means. So, so I, I had to figure out the body and the speech and then the desires. And hopefully that came across. I would say, I, I, I think at the time I was 263 pounds. And then I put on about 25 to 30 pounds. I might have got up to like 290 uh, to play Sean because he was in the 300s. So, oh, you know, Did, I was, was that a process you enjoyed? Oh, God, it sucked, dude, because I worked the whole year to get the weight off. I went to Orange Theory Fitness. I I, um, I was eating differently. You know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to, like, look better for my personal health and for my dating life, <laughs> right. which has been non-existent. So, like, <laughs> I think I lost 35 pounds that year, and then I ended up putting almost all of it back on for the role of Sean Eckhart. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, which uh, there's your little Oscar bait had I had a publicity person. Yeah, I know. Listen, you could have easily, you would easily be in contention if people knew that. Um, oh, it's silly. <laughs> no, people would have looked at it and been like, let me get this straight. So a fat guy had to become fatter for the role. Real impressive. Wow. You uh, know that Matt Damon lost 90 pounds for Courage Under Fire, right? Yeah, yeah but I put on a good 30, so. Oh, my goodness. Um, no, you know, the whole Oscar thing, listen, it's a dream to win an award and be recognized by your peers and people. And it's that's obviously one of many things that I hope to accomplish someday. But, um. But uh, the Oscars are crazy. You really do have to campaign in a really psychotic fashion to kind of win people over. And some of it doesn't even have to do with the performance. Mm-hmm. Some of it has to do with, you know, showing up to 90 events in the course of seven weeks. Right, right. So um, it is what it is. I, I look at that best supporting category, and I mean, there ain't no way you're kicking out Willem Dafoe for Florida Project. <laughs> there ain't no way you're kicking out... Sammy Rockwell for three billboards. Mm-hmm. There were just some uniquely brilliant right, performances. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that's a tough category, you know? Yeah. But uh, so a quick question too, as you're preparing to play for that role, um, what was either the most surprising or like funniest thing that you, so you know, after having watched the movie, I think you leave with an impression of, of you know, the bodyguard and uh, what was the most surprising or funny thing that you learned in, in preparing for that role about the actual Sean Eckhart? I mean, I would say the most surprising thing was how far deep he was into that lifestyle of fabrication, I guess I could mm, call it. Yeah. Uh, I, I ended up hunting down, you know, I, I watched all these little news clips online because they have all the vintage clips from local news affiliates and CNN. And I started to hear this name, Eugene Saunders, uh, said throughout the broadcast. And it was apparently the guy who turned Sean into the FBI. There was a person, uh, and it was this guy, Eugene. So I just Googled Eugene Saunders, Portland, Oregon. And I found out he's a theological professor at a Bible college in Portland. So I call the office of his Bible college, leave a message for him. He calls me back an hour later, and we speak for about a little over an hour. And he tells me that he went to college with Sean, and he said Sean was kind of this, you know, 
humorous presence of a person you didn't take very seriously. But then again, he'd show you a plane ticket stub from a foreign country, or he would have a book about the FBI that he'd carry around that looked really secretive. And you you get these little contextual clues that made you think twice about this guy that you never took seriously. Mm. So, Like maybe say, he's telling the truth. <laughs> exactly. And that's what's fun about the role. There's something really fun about playing somebody who is clearly delusional and insane, but at the same time, you know, he did pull off what he pulled off in some regard. He did change the course of history, as, as I say in the film. Right. Uh, just in such a perverted manner, obviously. <laughs> so I would say the most, the most surprising thing was finding out how deep Sean went into that fabricated lifestyle. And then the funniest thing was just hearing anecdotes second-handedly from Sebastian, who had met with Jeff Galuli. He said there was a he said there was something where Jeff and Sean used to do these little excursions where they'd do dumb things and, and just for a laugh, like they they tried to drive a truck or a car of some kind, like a crappy car off of a cliff to see if it would explode when it like fell. What? You know, like you see in the like <laughs> yeah. you see in the movies, you know? And and apparently they pushed it down this hill and it just like kind of crashed or cracked part of the vehicle. And nothing happened. There was no explosion. And like, you know, you play that in your head. It's like a scene out of Napoleon Dynamite. You can see Pedro and Napoleon right, yeah. doing that. Yeah. So I think that type of stuff, you know, that small town buffoonery really was hysterical. That's so good. That's so funny. Um, so we we have uh, another question and then we have some listener questions. Uh, but as I was cool. thinking about this this interview i you know you mentioned the cast and you mentioned how how much talent there was and you mentioned that that two of them Allison Janney and and Margot Robbie were both nominated um for for you know for the academy awards but around that you also had Sebastian Stan and just a really good supporting cast uh were there any backstage stories that you can share that that stand out to you you know if not that's fine but i got to imagine with that group of characters that those people there has to be something I mean, there were little, there were little things like, uh, like I think that night when we were shooting the wedding scene, I think a couple cast and crew members might have been, uh, pouring something in their, in their, uh, coffee cup. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, we had a lot of fun off screen. There were a lot of nights where we'd just go out to a local bar and, and you know, sometimes you invite some people from the cast and crew and you think maybe five or six people might show up. There were plenty of nights where we had upwards of 20 to 40 people involved in the film just coming out. There'd be like, you'd be doing shots with the accountant and uh, <laughs> and a wardrobe, a wardrobe person and a cast member and the director. And it was like, it was very familial and very chummy and very silly. And, and that, that on and off set vibe was, was a real joy of which I hope to keep replicating as my career goes on to have that much fun while, while filming. What, uh, what town was this movie film? Was it actually in the Portland area or were you like, I'm trying to figure out what local oh, no, no, town no, no. you we, were shutting down. <laughs> we, we, we shot it in Atlanta, which, you know, Atlanta is now the new Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or the new, the new, uh, New Orleans, like everything's filming here. But yeah, no, there were dude, there was a there was a crazy night. I'll tell you a story. There was a crazy night where Margot had like whiplash in her neck. Something was wrong, seriously wrong with her neck from all the skating she had done. But she wasn't doing great, and we were kind of worried about her. There was a night we were at a rodeo bar, and some local guy, some sketchy dude, 140 pounds soaking wet, wearing all black. You know, he looked a little juggalo-ish to be honest. 
he climbs up on a table and he tries to do like a crowd dive. Like he jumps into our group of people. It was kind of funny. Like, whoa, what was that? Like, we're all kind of laughing about it. But then he climbs up again and aims for Margot Robbie. Margot's holding a tray of Jaeger that she bought for all the casting crew. And I see this guy gear up and it's like happening in slow motion where I was like, Oh God, this guy's going to try to like tackle Margot and like make the news because he's some drunk psychotic idiot. So as he jumps, I grab Margot by her elbows with the tray and pull her into me in a hug. And as I do it, splash myself with all these shots, <laughs> cover myself in Jaeger bombs. This guy misses her by about five inches and then runs away and laughs about it with his buddies at a table on the other side of the bar. So Margo's just staring at me as I'm holding her covered in booze. And she just goes, oh, my God, thank you. I'm so sorry. And I just walk away and her husband and the director can tell I'm super pissed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I just... I walk up to this guy's table, and you got to be careful in these places. You don't know if somebody's got, you know, a knife or a gun on them or anything. We're in their territory, yeah. you know. We're in their town. But I walk up, and I just stare at these guys at the table. And with both open palms, I slam my hands down on their table and shake all their drinks. And they all, like, look at me scared like a cat on a piano, you know, jumping <laughs> up. And, uh, and I just stare at them and smile and walk away just as if to send a message or a warning that. You touch Margot Robbie, I'm going to kick your ass, yeah. man. Hey, so you were literally the bodyguard. bodyguard. Yeah, so, uh, the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> the whole that time. Was the, that was the closest I got to being a real bodyguard for Margot. Um, but that was a memorable moment. That's a story that I've only shared with a few people. Oh, that's oh, yeah, great. It's such a great story. That's great. Um, so, you know, before we – so we have a few listener questions, if that's okay. We've been doing this thing recently where anyone who's left a review for the show um, can, can submit questions for our guests. We've had – a number of guests in the last year and a half or so. And, and, uh, and a few people were really excited to, to ask you a couple. One of them, uh, is from Casey Spivey, who's actually a contributor to screen rant. And she was actually a guest on the show before too. Um, and she's a comedian and she's, you know, she's just hilarious. And she says, um, you know, Paul, how did you balance portraying a real person with bringing your own comedic take to the role? Um, what up Casey Spivey? What up screen rant? Um, I would say the um, an actor I worked with, his name's Matt Loria. He and I did a show called Kingdom for the Audience Network on DirecTV. Matt was someone who really introduced me to this idea of finding the truth. Every scene, it's not about a laugh. It's not about a moment inside a moment. It's what is this really about for me, not for everybody else. Because even in life, in life, when you're living your life, you could be at a funeral, but you might only be conscious in that moment of the fact that you forgot to wear a belt and your pants are going to fall down. You don't want your pants to fall down at a funeral. <laughs> so so I look at the target inside of the target and figure out what it is I'm trying to really do in this moment mm -hmm. and be real to that moment, be stuck in that moment, be really present, but then be conscious of the moments in which I can be funny. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that moment in the basement where we're, Yelling up so to my good. mother to use the phone. Just love it. I I improvised. Mom, just help us out. Yeah. And then I improvised. It's local, mom. It's and I'm doing <laughs> these little things, and it's not like I'm doing them like, ooh, I'm going to steal the scene. Look at me be strategically funny. I'm just doing it because I believe that that's what the character would do in that moment. Yeah. So I get to be funny, but I'm always trying to be truthful. Is that does that answer it? 
It's such a good answer in that scene. Uh, I'm telling you, it's there's so it's many so scenes that are so good. Uh, all right, I'm going to jump to the next one uh, from Troy in KC. We uh, was it hard to be part of a film that glorified a character that many people perceived to be a villain? To to clarify, we're talking about Tanya. Yeah, specifically <laughs> Tanya. Sure. Um, not really. I mean, it's she's a low stakes villain in the grand scheme. Donald Trump is in the White House. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> like, who really gives a crap if somebody might have known about someone else getting hit in the leg with a baton? And that you know that sounds heartless. Like, you don't care about Nancy Kerrigan? Of course, I care about Nancy Kerrigan. I hope she lives the greatest version of the life she she has and desires. But I just I think at the end of the day, we're really just nailing the chronology and we're showing the other side of the coin, which is no matter how involved or uninvolved Tanya Harding was, uh, she kind of got her ass kicked throughout her whole life. Mm-hmm. And she kept she kept getting up every time she got knocked down. Right. That in and of itself is, you know, inspiring. But we're trying to be inspiring amidst also this crazy Cohen-esque uh, crime story. Right. So. And I wasn't really – I never really had reservations about it. I thought it was pretty fair, yeah. albeit albeit trying to uh, to shine a different light, a new light on time. Yeah, great answer. Very cool. Um, so, so, Paul, so we're going to – we always end our, our uh, interviews with rapid-fire questions. But before we get to those, uh, you have a couple upcoming projects that, uh, that sound pretty exciting. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm looking for a job right now. So if anybody's listening <laughs> – and uh, it's related to a producer or director. No, um, I'm, I'm filming this really fun thing with these guys, uh, uh, Jonathan Pulowski and Justin Miles and, and D.W. Medoff, uh, these funny guys down in Atlanta. We're, we're filming like a pilot presentation. So I'm doing that. Um, in about three months, the film Super Troopers 2 is going to drop uh, via Fox Searchlight. Mm, awesome. And I have a small, small but pivotal uh, funny role in that flick. Awesome. And that, uh, and that's a joy for me because I'm such a fan of the first one. Yeah. So for me, it's like, you know, it's the culmination of that dream stuff you hope for when you get into acting is that you'll get to work with people you're fans of. And then I guess uh, in light of that, I also just worked with Spike Lee on a true crime story called Black Klansman. And I don't really know when that's coming out. I would assume sometime this year it might hit the Cannes Film Festival or maybe TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival. But that's got me and Adam Driver and Topher Grace and uh, my buddy John David Washington and Corey Hawkins. It's just awesome. It's kind of a cast of heavy hitters, like young heavy hitter, um, amazing actors and actresses and and I, I really had a great time working with Spike, so I hope that gets seen by a lot of people. Well, I'm, awesome. I'm going to assume that one has a different tonality, a different feel than Super Troopers 2. Quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a bit. But, you know, I'll say this once again, par for the course with It's Always Sunny and I, Tanya, and, and what I've done in the past. I play I play a freaking weirdo in Super Troopers 2 and, uh, and sort of a funny villain <laughs> akin to I, Tanya and Black Klansman. Mm, oh, wow. I play a KKK member in Black Klansman, and obviously it's it's the kind of guy you hate on screen. But there's also some funny moments, so we'll see. Yeah, so we'll we'll the, we'll reiterate the same question about uh, playing someone that you, is is a villain um, <laughs> later when we interview you for that movie. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. <laughs> All right, Paula. Listen, we can't we can't thank you enough. We love having you on. It was, it's been a lot of fun, but we always will close out with uh, you know, like I said, rapid fire questions meant to be 
as okay. close to one word answers as possible. And the running rule is that Rodney and I are not allowed to comment. We just have to move on to the next question. Which is impossible. Whoa. <laughs> this is so weird, but cool. I like it. All right. So you, you good to go? You ready to roll? Yeah, as ready as I'm going to be. Rodney and Chet. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Question number one. Of the main cast, who would be the best figure skater? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, Margot Robbie because she actually does uh, skating. If there was one thing in your life that you have Olympic talent in, what would it be? Um, that would be uh, loving and encouraging people slash watching pro wrestling. <laughs> uh, number three, who plays you in the movie about your life? Um, hopefully, uh, some young up and comer out of the Midwest who grew up loving my performances and, uh, and gets to play me. And it's like a, a culmination kismetic moment for him. Who is the celebrity that annoys you the most? Oh my gosh. Um, I wish I had this like answer ready to go. I would, I would say Lena Dunham. I don't hate her, but she's kind of annoying. (laughs) Good answer. Uh, number five, pick a superpower. Superpower would be um, uh, teaching people how how to exercise unconditional love, of which I would teach myself to love Lena Dunham and be a kinder person. <laughs> All right, last one. Favorite pizza topping? Favorite pizza topping. Got to go extra cheese, brother. That's, that feels like cheating to me. <laughs> no, that's not. And also, this, guys, you, don't don't try to change the rules. You just took like in the middle of the game. Okay, you just took a rod to the kneecap of my question. <laughs> it's a okay. You know what? I'm going to change my answer. I'm going to say olives because I, I won't say black or green. It includes both. Yeah, that olives. and no one will split the pizza with you. Yeah. So wait, last question because I I just thought of this too. Pro wrestling. Who's your favorite wrestler of all time? Easiest. Easiest uh, thing for me to answer, Steve Borden, but you might know him as Sting. Oh, Sting. yes, yeah. I, you Sting. know, I lived in Georgia. My mom's family is uh, in the like Atlanta area. I have a cousin who that was all we did was play WCW video games. So, oh Sting wow, well. dude, yeah, Georgia. You know where? You know what Georgia is? That's WCW territory. That's that's the home of WCW. Bill Goldberg, Egon, Marietta, every Marietta match. Georgia. <laughs> Marietta, Georgia, the home of Buff Bagwell. Yeah. Buff Bagwell. <laughs> Big Papa oh, Pump. Man. No, who is somebody else? Yeah, Sting, <laughs> oh Sting was one of my all-time favorites as well. Yeah. And, uh... Yo, fun, fun fun, tidbit, though. The Steiner Brothers own a Shoney's restaurant in Georgia. <laughs> what, Shoney's. What town? Oh, I'm going to forget the name, dude. I forget. But, dude, me and – me. oh, Ackworth. It's in Ackworth. I- Shoney's was like just a bad salad bar, right? Like I remember as a kid going to Shoney's a lot with like my grandparents, but I always was like, what does this place offer? <laughs> I mean, Shoney's is the kind of place where it's like you get an Angus steak burger, a really lame salad and five refills on your diet cola. Mm. That's like that's that's Shoney's in a nutshell, yeah. I'm guessing. There's a market for that. There's definitely a there is yeah. some people some people literally want exactly that yeah <laughs> that's what they want which is fine yeah different strokes different folks that's right different shonies for different homies you know <laughs> there it ponies is. I thought there was gonna is. be the word but Rodney you're not as funny no. as Paul I didn't say I was um well Paul listen we we uh, we took more time I think than than we said we would of yours but we loved having you on. 
Um, and if you haven't seen Antonia yet, I have to encourage you as listeners, go out and prioritize that. I mean, not to say that there aren't great movies that have been nominated and we've talked about already, but man, don't miss out on Antonia this year. Um, I believe it's still in theaters, at least locally. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and certainly when it comes out and is more accessible, I'm sure we'll do an episode completely devoted to Antonia. Uh, but with that, Paul, we, again, want to thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. Thank you, guys. Congrats on the podcast. Thanks for, uh, thanks for promoting our film, and uh, God bless you guys. Yeah, same to you. Have a good night. Thanks.